0: well this morning how many glad you're in the house of the lord today isn't it a great day to be in god's house and to be a part of what he's doing well this morning We're going to continue a series that we started together last Sunday entitled Brothers Keeper. And uh, we began looking in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 9 this morning. It's the story of Cain and Abel. And Cain has killed his brother Abel. And if you were not here last Sunday, let me encourage you, uh, go out to our YouTube page, go to our Liberty Church app, go to our social media pages, wherever you kind of consume that content, and go out there and listen to last Sunday's message. Because I believe that last week, this series, I think, is a significant series. I think it's a pivotal point. In which God is positioning the church for the move of his spirit in this end time and whether I kind of use that little phrase "end time loosely and lightly But the realization is simply this we are closer now than when we first believed. Can I get an amen? And so whether Jesus comes tomorrow next week next year or in 25 or 50 years or a thousand years The realization is you and I are closer now to his coming than we've ever been and I believe this message is pivotal uh, Because I think we need to make a pivot we need to make a very significant shift as we as the church would awaken to what god is doing in the earth so that we can be the hands and feet of jesus christ in a very powerful yet very practical way at the very same time so genesis 4 verse 9 says afterwards the lord asked cain where is your brother where is abel i don't know cain responded am i my brother's keeper And we kind of last week, as we kind of laid the foundation for this series, we kind of came to what I just want to call kind of two significant truths. The first one is this. As Christians... We have a moral and a spiritual responsibility to be our brother's keeper. So in order and able to answer Cain's question, am I my brother's keeper? The answer to that is, without a shadow of a doubt, yes, you are. If you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you are called to be your brother's keeper. John chapter 13 Verse 34 and 35, Jesus gives us what he calls a new commandment. Listen to this. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this we'll all know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus said the defining mark of Christianity is that we actually have love for one another, that we actually care for each other. Look at the second thing. We, we also kind of drilled down on this thought last week. We said that the closer that we get to the end of the age, the more we are going to need each other and the more the world will need to see Jesus. The closer we get to the end of the age, the closer we get to the coming of Christ, the more we're going to need each other, right? The church is going to need the church because if we're going to be the church that the church needs to be, at the end of the age, we're going to have to be a strong church. Come on, somebody. We're going to have to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. We can't be a complacent Christian. We can't be a compromised Christian. If we're going to be the church the world needs in the darkest hour that the world has ever seen, we've got to be courageous Christians that are strong in the Lord and part of our strength I want you to hear me doesn't just come from being connected to Christ but being connected to the body of Christ Lone Ranger Christianity won't work at the end of the age Lone Ranger Christianity won't work at the end of the age. You cannot live in isolation and separation from the body of Christ and expect to be the person God has called you to be at the end of the age. Why? Because we are going to need each other. The closer we get to the end, the more we need each other. We need our natural families, but we also need our spiritual family to help us stay strong in the faith focused and determined and dedicated to doing the things God has called us to do. And so the closer we get to the end, the more we're going to need each other and the more the world needs us, right? If we're going to reach out and raise people up, then we're going to have to be the strong church that the world needs. Why? Because in the darkest hour, we need the church to shine the brightest. Can I get an amen from somebody today? So the world needs the church to be strong so we can reach a broken, hurting world with the hope and the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4. You done heard a little of it in the announcements this morning. Verse 7 is the foundational scripture for our corporate prayer meeting. The first Saturday of every month in Arab, the first Sunday of every month in Holly Pond. We gather together for one hour of corporate, focused, disciplined prayer. Why? Because prayer changes things. Let me get an amen again. Come on, somebody. Prayer changes our lives. Listen to what the apostle Peter says. He says, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. And most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. And cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay, because God has given each of you a gift from His great variety of spiritual gifts. So use them well to serve one another. So our end-time instructions, we kind of looked at this briefly last week. Our end-time instructions from the Apostle Peter is simply this. He said, be earnest and disciplined in our prayers. Show deep love for one another by sharing and serving because we are our brother's keeper. So today, we're going to just drill down into those thoughts. We're going to talk about some very powerful yet practical truths that need to be in the lives of every believer because if we're going to be a strong church that's going to impact a world that needs to know Jesus, then we're going to have to grab hold of the truths of God's Word. And so what we're going to do, we're going to go to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, because what's interesting about Peter's instructions in 1 Peter chapter 4 is Peter's instructions for the end of the world is very similar to the New Testament church's model in the birth on the day of Pentecost. When God birthed the New Testament church on the day of Pentecost, and we're going to read that 3,000 souls were saved in one day, and the New Testament church literally was launched onto the planet What we're going to see this morning is that the model of the New Testament church is actually the example and instruction that Peter gives us in 1 Peter 4, 7 through 10. With the exception of one little specific thing that we're going to talk about this morning. And I believe that Peter did not leave this out intentionally. I believe Peter's kind of like me. I think he got excited. And sometimes in his excitement, he wanted to say a whole lot more than he had time to say. And in his enthusiasm, I think he rushed right past a very significant point that we're going to look at this morning. So today we're going to kind of drill down on those truths. So look with me in the book of Acts chapter 2. Because in Acts chapter 2 the Bible says this Those who believe what Peter said were baptized And added to the church that day about 3,000 people in all How many of you can agree with me today That we need an end time revival Come on somebody That we need another 3,000 people I think there's 3,000 people in Arab that need to be born again I think there's 3,000 people in North Alabama that need to be born again I think Liberty Church is about to see its best day As we reach out and raise people up To come into the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Because how many of you know if people aren't getting saved, then the church ain't doing what the church is called to do? When souls make disciples, destroy the works of the devil. That is why we exist. That is the heart, the mission, and commission of God for the church. And that day, 3,000 people were saved. And I believe God is up to something big, and I think we're right in the middle of it. How about you? Look at verse 42. And here's what I want you to see. Here's the similarities of what Peter said in 1 Peter 4. The Bible says, And all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I put in parentheses doctrine. That's a King James word. The word doctrine means a set of beliefs by which you live your life. And all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property, their possessions, shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in home. Somebody say small groups. For the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And in that scripture, you're going to see that we recognize that prayer Sharing and serving one another are foundational truths of what a New Testament church is supposed to look like. But in the book of Acts, the Bible also says something. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Y'all say devoted. Devoted. How many know we got to be devoted? Come on, somebody. We've got to be more devoted to the call of Christ than we are to anything else in this world. We've got to be devoted to doing what God has called us to do. So let's talk about today, what does it mean to be a strong church so we can be our brother's keeper? Look at that next point. So a strong church, according to the New Testament model, is a church that is devoted to the teaching and study of the Word of God. We care, listen to this, we care for one another when we instruct and encourage one another in godliness and in truth. See, one of the most critical ingredients in the last time is that we've got to devote ourselves to the study of Scripture, to the teaching and study of the Word of God. Why? Because one of the greatest ways that we care for each other, Is that we encourage each other in the word of the Lord. We encourage one another into godliness and righteousness and truth. And that comes through rightly dividing the word of God. We live, unfortunately, in a very biblically illiterate society. We have more access now on our phones and our tablets and our computers to the Bible 24-7, 365 days a year. But more Christians are still ignorant and unlearned about the truth of Scripture. And I just want to say for us to be a strong church, then we've got to be committed to the study of Scripture. Can I get an amen? Amen. And so the Bible says the New Testament church was devoted to the teaching of the apostles. I want you to look with me in 1 Timothy chapter 4. It says, now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, here it is, here's another reference to the last times, the end of the days, in the en- or the end of the age, that in the last times, some will turn from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits And teachings, and again I put doctrine, that's the King James word, a set of belief that come from demons. Listen to that. Listen to how Paul describes the last days. He said in the last days people are going to turn from the true faith. You remember last week he told us that in the last days perilous times would come. Men would be lovers of themselves and lovers of pleasure. Nothing would be sacred. They would hate those who loved God and did good. They'd have a form of religion, but they would deny the power thereof that could make them godly and live righteous lives before the Lord. And so again, he tells Timothy, hey, Timothy, I want you to be aware. In the last days, there are going to be people that are going to turn from the faith, and they're going to give heed to deceptive spirits and doctrines of demons. Let me just tell you today, there are a lot of doctrines of demons in our world. There are a lot of philosophies and ideologies that undermine the authority of Jesus Christ and the Word of God. And anybody that questions the deity of Christ or anybody that that resists the authority of Christ Jesus and the Word of God is somebody that has believed a lie. And I want you to recognize something because, because I think there's a difference between wicked people and deceived people. See, there are some wicked people that are intentionally doing harm. But there's a lot of people that are deceived. And wicked people do wicked things, but I want you to hear this. But deceived people also do wicked things. Wicked people do wicked things because their heart is evil. Deceived people do wicked things because they have believed a lie. Let's just be honest, if you'll think back over your life before you came to Christ, there were probably some things before you became a Christian that you embraced, some things that you celebrated, some things that you promoted, some things that you encouraged other people to participate with you in. And the moment you came to Christ and the light bulb came on, the Spirit of God moved in, and you begin to open the Bible, you begin to recognize something. The thing that you once celebrated, you now despise. See, that is so significant to what we're talking about today. It's so significant because we have to understand we live in a world that is under the sway of the enemy and there is a spirit of deception and there are doctrines of demons that are undermining the work of Christ in the hearts and lives of people. And here's the good news. We have the B-I-B-L-E. Can I get an amen from somebody? We have the Word of God. And we don't have to be deceived. The Bible says my people are destroyed because they lack knowledge. But it's not the lack of knowledge. It's the rejection of knowledge that causes us to go down. And so if we're going to be the strong church, if we're going to be the church that God has called us to be, if we're going to be the kind of church that loves one another and reaches a broken, hurting world with the love and grace of Jesus Christ, then we're going to have to be rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and in the truths of Scripture. Look at verse 2, 2 Timothy 4. He says, these people are hypocrites and liars and their consciences are dead. They will say it's wrong to be married, it's wrong to eat certain foods, but God created those foods to be eaten with thanksgiving by faithful people who know the truth. Since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it, but receive it with thanks. For we know it is made acceptable by the word of God and prayer. How many are thankful next week all that pork is going to be sanctified by the word of God and prayer? Look at verse 6, important verse. If you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, Timothy, you will be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus. One who is nourished by the message of faith and the good teaching that you have followed. So don't waste any time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, look at this, train yourself to be godly, Listen to what Paul says. Paul says, hey, as you get into the scriptures, you, as you study to show yourself approved, recognize something. Don't be distracted by all these things that have no godliness or no righteousness in them. Don't be distracted by what he calls the old wives' tales. He said, but instead give yourself to those things that train you to be godly. Let me tell you one of the true characteristics of scriptural study. It produces righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. When you are sincerely teaching and studying Scripture, it is producing godliness and righteousness that elevates the standard of your life into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. See, the truth is, you can take one verse out of Scripture and you can build a doctrine of devils. And you can justify almost anything that you want to justify from the Bible. If you just pick and choose instead of rightly dividing the word of truth. That's why the Bible says that we interpret spiritual things by spiritual things. The most accurate interpretation of scripture is scripture. And all scriptures we're going to see in just a minute ultimately points us to one man. His name is Jesus. Listen to what else he says. He says, Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. And this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept I want you to look back at verse 6 with me again. Look what he says. If you explain these things to to the brothers and sisters, you will be a worthy or faithful servant of the Lord. How many of you understand that you can't explain what you don't understand? You can't explain what you don't understand. Paul told Timothy, I want you to explain these things. I want you to explain the truths of Scripture to those who do not understand it so they can walk in the truth. And let me just say this. The reason that I believe that preaching and teaching of the gospel needs to be more than motivation and inspiration is because we need to be instructed in the Word of God. Now, I believe the Bible is the most motivational and the most inspirational book on the planet. And if you're teaching the Bible and you're boring, shame on you. There's nothing boring about this book. But how many of you also recognize that motivation and inspiration without the instruction of application... leaves you empty and void. You leave church fired up because God wants to do good things, but then you get up on Monday morning and you don't know how to do the good God wants to do. And before you know it, the thing that motivated you on Sunday actually discourages you on Wednesday because you want what you heard about, but you don't know how to do what you heard about. Because if you were just inspired or motivated instead of instructed in the way of truth, You heard something that tickled your ears and excited your heart, but it didn't apply to your life. And that's why it's important that we make sure that we are devoted to the teaching and study of Scripture that brings godliness. Godliness is more than an inspiration and a motivation. It is the application of the truth of Scripture to our lives that changes the way I live, the way I speak, and the way I interact with every person around me. And what I love about Liberty Church and what I love about our Connection Track and our Grow Track and our small groups and our Sunday morning worship services is that everything we do is geared around, yes, inspiring and motivating, but more importantly, instructing the body on how to live godly lives so that we can reach out into a broken, hurting world and raise people up into their full potential in Christ. And I love excitement. I'm kind of passionate. But I'm thankful for instruction that comes from the Word of God that impacts the way we live in this world. Amen? Acts chapter 8, great scripture. It's the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. The Bible says, Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. And the passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. It's Isaiah 53. As a lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak to his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or somewhere else? So beginning in the same scripture, look at verse 35. Philip told him the good news about jesus i love the king james version the bible says and beginning at the scripture philip preached jesus to him let me tell you one of the best ways for you to interpret and understand scripture The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. That means that what was concealed in the Old Testament was revealed in the New Testament, and what is revealed in the New Testament was concealed in the Old Testament. And here's what was concealed, and here's what was revealed. His name is Jesus. Everything from Genesis to Revelations points to Jesus Christ. He is the Son, and like the Son, He is the center of the universe, and everything revolves around Him. And any preaching, teaching, and study that you do that does not take you back to a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ is a doctrine of devils that is leading you astray from the truth of God which is rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ. So all of a sudden, we recognize something. We recognize the significance of what it means to be a strong church, a strong believer. Because look at this next point. So being our brother's keeper, listen to this, means that we are devoted to the teaching and study of Scripture. And when we rightly divide the Word of God, we are able, listen to this, to strengthen our brothers and sisters in Christ and reach our world which is deceived by the lies and schemes of the enemy. When we study to show ourselves approved, when we are devoted to teaching and the study of Scripture... I was thinking about this earlier. I was thinking just this morning as I was praying over the message. I said, Lord, what really makes a student? And just very clearly the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit said, Keith, he said, it's really simple. How do you know you're a student? You know you're a student because you got a teacher. When your kids go to school, right, and they start kindergarten, you remember one of the first questions everybody asked them, what's your teacher's name? And then you move up from out of the elementary, you get into junior high and high school, and now you go from having one teacher, now you got multiple teachers. And then you go from high school to college, and now you got multiple teachers again. You know why? Because as long as you're a student, you got a teacher. Well, I'm thankful the Holy Spirit, number one, is our teacher. And I'm thankful that God has actually given the church one of the gifts, Ephesians 4, that He gave the church are not just pastors and apostles and prophets and evangelists, but teachers who teach the Word of God, rightly dividing the Word of truth. And as we are devoted to the teaching, that means I'm learning, and the study, that means I'm individually pursuing God. Man, I can grow, and not only can I grow, but I can be strengthened, not for the sake of being strong, but for the sake of strengthening others so that they can do what God has called them to do. If you hang around at Liberty Church very long, let me tell you what somebody's going to tell you. Somebody's going to tell you, you need to do a quiet time. (laughs) Which simply means this. You need to have prayer and study of the Word. You need to get in the Bible. You need to read the Word of God every day. You need to have prayer time. You need worship time. And you need to be in the Scriptures on a daily basis. Why? Because as we devote ourselves to the Word of God, all of a sudden we are equipped. Listen to what the Bible says. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, study to show thyself approved to God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Our doctrine, our set of beliefs should be rooted and grounded in the truth of scripture and in Jesus Christ. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. How many go, the word of God will rebuke you? The Word of God will rebuke you. It will slap you in the face, but the good news is is once it slaps you in the face, it will pick you up and tell you how to live. Come on, somebody. It will bring reproof and correction and instruction in righteousness. God's word is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is a life-giving resource that God has given to us in order to not only spiritually do surgery on our souls, but to empower us to reach a world that needs Jesus. Look at that very next next verse, verse 17. It says, God has given us the inspiration of 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 the word of God so that the man or woman of God may be complete, mature, Thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let me just say this today. Whatever God's called you to do, God's Word is the weapon and the tool that you need to do the work. You need the Word to do the work. And the work gets hard when you no longer feed and feast on the Word. You will grow weary and well doing when you stop feeding and feasting on the truth of Scripture. So the reason, again, the reason we need to be devoted to Scripture is not just so we could be strong, but so we could strengthen others. Yeah. How many know right now in our world there is a lot of confusion and a lot of questions? Yeah. Let me give you some good news. We have the answer. <laughs> As a Christian, you're never on the short end of the stick. As a Christian, here, I want you to hear this today. You may not have the answer because of your ignorance. And by the way, ignorance is not a bad thing. We're all ignorant of something. I'm ignorant of how to fly a plane. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Ignorance means that we're unlearned and untaught. You may not have the answer because of our ignorance, but we have the answer because Jesus is the answer and God's word is truth. And God's Word answers every social issue facing our culture today. Every social issue. From gender identity to abortion to same-sex marriage to homosexuality. Every social topic. Right here is the answer. And if we don't feel equipped to answer those questions, it's not because the answer is not here. Any of you guys old enough to remember Grasshopper? (laughs) We've got the answer. We've got to become students of Scripture so that we can minister effectively to one another first and to a world second that desperately needs to know Jesus. Amen? All right. Praise the Lord. Y'all still good? I'm halfway done. I got a minute, and thirty seconds left. So hold on. <laughs> Woo. Thank you, Jesus. All right, here we go. Remember, let's look at one more point here. Let's let's refocus. So remember, the closer we get to the end of the age, the more we will need each other. Let's see. I'm, I'm sorry. Let me. I, I skipped one for you. Let me back up. I told you I'm in a hurry. I got to slow down. Being our brother's keeper. Let's shift gears for a second. So first of all, we got to be devoted to the Scripture. Second of all, we got to be devoted to prayer. Being our brother's keeper means that we are devoted to earnest and disciplined prayer. Prayer is power. Come on, somebody. Prayer is power. Prayer is the release valve through which heaven comes to earth. Prayer is power. And if we're going to be our brother's keeper, we're going to have to pray for one another. We're going to have to encourage one another in the word of the Lord. And we're going to have to pray for one another. Why? Because prayer is power. John Wesley, not my son-in-law, but the founder of the Methodist Church made this statement. He said that everything that God does on earth, God does in answer to prayer. In other words, nothing happens on earth unless somebody prays. Prayer is power. Prayer is the release valve that brings the kingdom of heaven into the hearts and lives of men. And when we begin to comprehend the power of prayer, we begin to see that God uses prayer to change things. Nick stood up here just a moment ago and said, my blood sugar went down. It went from 1,800 with an internal bleeding to now I'm healed with no nothing because of the prayers of God's people. Every week we hear story after story, testimony after testimony of people being healed, of people being delivered, of people being raised up, of what the world said was impossible, God said is possible. Because that's the power of prayer. Amen? So, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. said, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, And to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. And we're going to talk about those two things next week. And to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Look at that next point. Here it is again. Remember, the closer we get to the end of the age, the more we will need each other. And the more we will need the prayers of the saints to intercede on our behalf. The closer we get to the end of the age, the more we're going to need each other, guys. And the more we're going to need the prayers of the saints, the more we need each other to intercede on one another's behalf. Now what's interesting, we're going to go to Romans 15 in just a minute. As I was studying for this message, I saw something I'd never really seen before. I I began to recognize how many times the Apostle Paul makes reference to asking people to pray for him or referring to the prayers that other people prayed for him. And I want to just encourage you, as you begin to read through the writings of Paul, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, by the way. It is amazing how many times he asks people to pray for him. I mean, you think he's the Apostle Paul, right? You think he'd be like, hey, guys, don't worry about praying for me. I got this. But no, that's not what he did. Over and over, he said, pray for me. Over and over, he said, please intercede for me. Over and over, he said, I need your prayers. And if he wasn't asking them to pray for him, he was acknowledging the fact that their prayers changed his life. So Romans 15, let's look at this one example. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, I urge you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. I urge you. I urge you to pray to God for me. Look at this. Do this because you love, because of your love for me and because of your love for me given to you by the Holy Spirit. Let me stop right there for just a second. The reason we can have earnest, disciplined prayer is because of love let something tragic happen to somebody you love with all your heart and you know what you'll do you'll pray earnestly you'll weep you'll cry you'll shout you'll lay on your face before the lord if something tragic happens to somebody you love with all your heart you know what will happen nobody will have to stir up earnest prayer you will earnestly with all of your heart cry out to god On their behalf and the Apostle Paul makes a connection here he says I want you to pray for me and this is why I want you to pray for me he said I want you to pray for me because you love me and he said I know you love me because the Holy Spirit has given you love and here's the good news about the body of Christ we don't have to we don't have to know everybody the the way we know everybody I think it's good that we know each other I think we need to know each other more than we know each other but let me tell you some good news Somebody on this side of the room that may never really talk to somebody on this side of the room can pray for that person, and out of the love of God that's been put in their heart, an earnest prayer can change their life. Now again, I think we should know each other. But the power of prayer is that I can pray for people I've never met, and I can pray out of the love of God in my heart by the Holy Spirit, a earnest prayer that prevails much. Can I get an amen from somebody? And don't we do it all the time through social media? Don't we do it all the time through our relationships? Hey, pray for my uncle, pray for my cousin, pray for my brother. You don't know their uncle, brother, or cousin from Adam. But if you pray, guess what? The Holy Spirit in you gives you a love for that person. And let me just tell you, the more you pray for them, the more you'll love them. (laughs) It's really hard to pray for people and hate them. Because the more you pray for people, the more your heart burns to them. So he goes on, verse 31. He says, and pray again. Here he is. Pray again. Pray that I will be rescued from those in Judea who refuse to obey God. Pray also that the believers there will be willing to accept the donation I am taking to Jerusalem. And, and then, by the will of God, I will be able to come to you with a joyful heart. And we will be encouraged. We will be an encouragement to each other. And now, may God, who gives us his peace, be with you all. Amen. So I want you to see some specific things Paul identifies that happens when we pray right here. Number one, look at that. When we pray for one another, we join them in their struggle. Look what he said. He says, join in my struggle by praying to God for me. When we pray for one another, we join that person in their struggle. Let's just be honest. You can't be everywhere all the time and you can't meet every need. And my heart breaks, I'll be honest with you, many, many weeks, my heart breaks because there are needs that I would love to personally meet. (laughs) But I can't. There are places I would love to be if I could clone myself in multiple places. It would be awesome. But I can't. But you know what I can do and you know what you can do? I can join in their struggle through prayer. I may not physically be able to show up and walk beside them, but I can spiritually show up and partner with them through prayer. Paul said, join me in my struggle, praying to God the Father for me. And there's something powerful about that. There's something powerful about the fact that we can join one another, that we can partner with each other through prayer and join in that struggle, and we can bring grace and strength into an environment that would have never been pierced before. And then he goes on. So when we pray for one another, we join each other in their struggle. Prayer lightens the load. Think about this. How many times have you heard somebody say, or have you ever said, Boy, I, I felt the prayers. You ever heard somebody say Boy, I felt the prayers. Thank y'all for praying. I felt the prayers. I was thinking about this week, and I thought, Lord, what does that really mean when we say I felt the prayers? And this is what I felt like the Lord showed me. He said, Keith, when you say that, He said, what you're really saying is that you recognized that in the midst of your struggle, you were stronger than you really were. In the midst of your struggle, you had more peace than you should have had. In the midst of your struggle, there was a joy that just didn't make sense. In the midst of your struggle, there was something supernatural that was beyond you. And when you feel the prayers of the people, you actually are just acknowledging the fact that you recognize something bigger, something stronger, something greater is happening in your life than just you. And all of a sudden we begin to recognize the power of our prayers that we can lighten the load. Let me encourage you, never, never casually throw off the idea that your prayers don't matter. Your prayers partner you in their struggle and your prayers lighten their load. Look at that next part. It also releases bondages. Paul said, pray for me that I'd be rescued from these individuals that are resisting to obey the gospel. Not only do we see that through the power of prayer, we can be delivered from physical resistance and opposition, but from spiritual bondages that come our way. I love Celebrate Recovery. You know what I love about Celebrate Recovery? I love Celebrate Recovery because it's through the power of prayer that people get set free. The 12 steps are 12 tools that we use to get people to come long enough for the prayers of the saints to set them free. (laughs) And all of a sudden, as I work those steps through understanding and revelation of Scripture... And all of a sudden as I begin to partner with other people in my struggle and I begin to come out of the darkness and begin to walk in the light and I actually start inviting other people into my darkness and into my pain and into my addiction, all of a sudden the power of prayer kicks in and people get set free. Because that's the power of prayer. And when you pray, prayer releases bondages off people's lives. And prayer, look at this next part, prayer makes hearts receptive to God's grace and generosity. It makes people receptive. Paul said, pray also that the church would be receptive to the gift that I'm bringing them. Years ago, Kelly and I started praying this prayer. When we pray for somebody that's, that doesn't know the Lord or that's far away from God, we pray, God, give them a tender and responsive heart. That's what God told Ezekiel he would do. NLT translation said, I'll take out the heart of stone, and I'll give them a heart of flesh that is tender and responsive. And we've been praying that prayer. Let me tell you what. We prayed that prayer, and we have been able to see, literally, those hard-hearted, angry, callous souls soften under the hand of God. And we've seen humility take the place of pride. And we've seen a submitted heart take the place of an angry heart. And we've seen God turn people that once were shaking their fist in the face of God. Who were now bowing their heads before the King of Glory? That's the power of prayer. It turns people's hearts receptive. Look at that next point, or excuse me, Ephesians one. Ephesians one. I'm going to read just a couple verses, and we're going to work through this. So Y'all going to have to go home and do your homework, okay? Ephesians 1 says, Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you, praying for you constantly. And I ask God, asking God, the glorious Father of Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. And I pray that your heart will be flooded with light so that you will understand the confident hope that has been given to those who are called His holy people, who are rich in His glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe That is the same mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated Him in the place of honor at God's right hand. Now, He is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else in this world, but also in the world to come. And God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him the head over all things for the benefit of the church. That's me and you guys. And the church is his body, and it is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. So prayer, look at that next point. Prayer releases spiritual wisdom, insight, and understanding that empowers us to grow, walk in confident hope, and release supernatural power to flow through our lives. As we pray, Paul said, I pray that the eyes of your understanding will be open, that God will give you spiritual wisdom and insight. And then he prays two more times that God will give them understanding, that they would understand the confident hope that they have in Christ, that they would understand the power of God that has been given to them through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Listen to me today. Prayer is not about getting something from God. Prayer is really about releasing what God has already given us. Because you have been seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And you are complete in Him who is the head of all things, all powers, all dominions, and all authority. And everything is subject to His name. And so we recognize something. We pray for one another. As we devote ourselves to the Word of God, we're able to strengthen one another in the truth of Scripture and in the godliness and righteousness of Jesus Christ. As we pray for one another, we join the struggle. We lighten the load. We bear the burden. And we release the power of God into that situation where lives can forever be changed. I want to give you one more scripture, and we're going to close with this in our last point. Philemon chapter 1, verse 22. What an amazing scripture. Paul says this to Philemon. He says, one more thing. Please prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. I love that little phrase. Paul says, Hey, Philemon, let me just tell you something. Why don't won't you go ahead and prepare that guest room because I'm planning on coming to see you, and the reason I'm planning on coming to see you is because I believe God's going to answer your prayers for me. And when I read that, I thought about how, how much confidence Paul had in the prayers of other people. He was so confident that he was going to be released from being bound up for the gospel He was so confident that he told Philemon, go ahead and prepare that guest room, get it ready, make the bed, right? Put a mint on the pillow, tell your wife to start cooking some of that good old stuff she always cooks because honey, I'm coming home. And the reason I'm coming is because you're praying. And As I was thinking about that, the Holy Spirit checked my heart. He said, Keith, he said, maybe preparation is really the fruit of earnest, disciplined prayer. Maybe you really know you're praying when you really start preparing for the answer to come. Maybe you really know you're praying when you really start preparing for the answer to come. And I want to pray and I want to prepare for God to do what only God can do because of the prayers of God's people. I want to give you one final thought. Here it is today. Thank you for your patience. Closing question: If God answered every prayer you prayed for others this week, if God answered every prayer you prayed for others—not prayers you prayed for yourself—but if God answered every prayer that you prayed for others this week, what would happen? What would happen? See, you and I—we are our brother's keeper. And just to be honest, church is a pretty good place to be honest. I was—I was thinking about that question, and, and I and I answered. I said, "Well, Lord." To be honest, most weeks, if, if, if God answered the prayers that I prayed for other people, the week that I prayed them, then most weeks would be amazing weeks. <laughs> most weeks, sick people would be getting healed, lost people would be getting saved, and even dead people would be getting up. I mean, I pray those kind of prayers. But then I thought, you know what, there are some days, maybe not weeks, but there are some days where I get distracted by the busyness of life. And there are some days where the demand and the pressure that is on me of what I've got to do today crowds out my time to pray. And if you're like me, I hope you're not like me in this area. I hope you're more mature than me. But I found out that if you're like me, then when push comes to shove, I'll pass on the prayer time so I can get the work done. And I was reminded this week of a very wise man who made this statement years ago. He said, if we ever really understood the power of prayer, he said, then we would recognize that we are all way too busy not to pray. We're too busy not to pray. If your plate is pack jam and running over and you got more demands and more struggles and more challenges and more opportunities and more things to do than you could ever even imagine getting done in a 24-hour period, then you're too busy not to pray. Because it's going to be prayer that's going to win the day. It's going to be prayer that's going to give you the grace to do what you need to do. It's going to be prayer that's going to prioritize all the craziness of life. And it's going to be prayer that's going to put God's super on top of your natural. So you can experience what He wants to do in your life. And my prayer for us today is that we would realize that we're all too busy not to pray. And that we would devote ourselves to the Word of God so we can encourage each other in truth. And that we would devote ourselves to praying for one another. I'm going to give you two practical things. And I went way, way long, but I gonna give you this. I feel like it's significant. Two practical things for prayer. Number one, when somebody asks you to pray, you come to church, go to small group, go to Walmart if you're me. And I hear that little Pastor Keith in aisle seven. Pastor Keith, Pastor Keith. And somebody wants me to pray for them. I want to pray for this. Pastor Keith pray about this several years I learned this in those moments like that I try to say well I tell you what let's just go ahead and pray right there in the Walmart aisle right on the, on, the, on the aisle here at church I did it a couple times this morning between services let's just go ahead and pray because the worst thing you can do is say oh yeah I'll pray about it and then forget about it which we all do I decided several years ago I don't want to be that person so I'm going to do a 30-second prayer because let I me mean, know it's not the length of your prayer that changes things. It's the earnest disciplined prayer. And this is what I learned. Part of being disciplined in prayer is disciplining yourself to stop and do a 30-second prayer in the middle of Walmart. That'll change things. Second thing is, 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 as people share needs with us, Kelly and I, I'll say, well, can you text that to me? And then we have this really big prayer list (laughs) that's on our phones and our notes app. And not every day, but many days, consistently, we pray over those. And we call those names out to the Lord. And every day I pray a scripture out of my quiet time over that list of people. And many of you in this room are on that list because you've asked us to pray for you. My favorite part about our list is we started another list a couple years ago called Answered Prayer. And that list is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I love it when I can take somebody off the prayer list and put them on the Answered Prayer list. It excites my heart to know that God is working. But let me encourage you. Let's let's be disciplined in prayer. Whether it's a 30-second prayer, whether it's a prayer list that you consistently pray over, let's just be disciplined in prayer because prayer changes things. Let's bow our heads today. Thank you again for your patience. First thing I want to do is the one thing I do every week, and that is this. If you're here today and maybe you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're watching online, and you've never been what Jesus called being born again, then today's your day. Today's the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time, and if you don't know Him today, you can know Him. Your sins can be forgiven. Your future can be settled, and your present can be filled with a peace that only comes from being right with God. So if that's you this morning and you're in the room or you're watching online, I want you to just do something. You say, Pastor Keith, I want to be saved today. I want to be born again. I want you just to raise your hand. It's a simple act of faith. If you're online, just hit that little hand emoji. Type in the chat box. I'm raising my hand. But just raise your hand right now. If you raise your hand, our ushers, we're going to come. We're going to put a packet in your hand. We want to help you out. We want to help you take that next step. But I'm going to pray with you in just a minute as hands are going up right now. This is just a simple opportunity for you to express faith today. Right now, is your hand's up, we're putting a little packet in it, and we're about to pray together. Is there anyone else today that wants to slip their hand up? Say, today's my day, Pastor Keith. I want to accept Christ. Let's pray this prayer together. Everybody in the room, let's say it out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Rose again on the third day. I confess that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, come on, welcome to the family. Amen. Amen. We love you guys. If you've got children in Children's Church, go and rescue those amazing people back there. Tell them Pastor Keith's going to buy them pizza next week or something. I'm not sure. I owe them something special. We love you guys. Have a blessed day in the Lord.